0: baseball tonight the podcast
1: this is the baseball tonight podcast for friday may 19 2023 and today will be better than yesterday i'm buster only working from my home in montana taylor schwink is working from the schwink studios right outside of bristol and sarah abbott where are you working because i know you're dealing with a lot of laptop stuff
2: hi Ooh, is that tackling coming from my mic do you N- hear that? No,
0: no, no, I don't. Oh,
2: oh. <laughs> well, that was timed beautifully. <laughs> well,
0: either
1: the computer's losing, like losing its steam, or you're losing your mind. That's all I'm gonna say. I
2: mean, it could very likely be both. I just feel like my computer is crashing consistently, and then now I'm hearing like it sounds like snap, crackle, and pop from Rice Krispies, like you know that little like yeah yeah that little sound <laughs> that's coming all over my mic. So. Live, laugh, love.
1: I'm just going to, I mean, just having gone through the six weeks ago, don't wait. (laughs) Take your computer out back and and put a bullet in old Yeller's head. It's time (laughs) to put that away and prepare for the next one, okay? Go get another computer.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's going to be first thing on the agenda.
1: (laughs) Very nice. All right, well, as we've been talking about, here come the Cardinals. They continue to win. They face the Dodgers on Thursday and they just had a barrage of home runs. Nolan Gorman went deep in the bottom of the third. He hits the ball high to right center field. That's back to the track, and that's gone. Back to back, big flies in the third inning. Yepes and Gorman. Gorman's 11th. Three home runs in the inning for the Cardinals, and they have jumped on Urias. Here in the third, it's 5-2 Redbirds. That was Ricky Horton on the Cardinals radio network, but he wasn't done calling homers that half inning. The 3-2 pitch is hit high and deep to left field. That ball is gone. Back to back to back. Big flies in the bottom of the third inning. Four home runs in total. DeYoung hits his sixth. And the Cardinals are mashing the ball. Here in the third inning, six to Redbird. And they were not close to being done in this game in, in terms of hitting home runs. The Dodgers would come back.
3: He swings and hits a high drive to center. Newt bar going
4: back, still going back, still going back. It is gone. It is gone. A grand slam for Freddie Freeman. And the Dodgers have swung their way right back into this ball game.
1: Yeah, so all parts of the Cardinals are on display in this game. Not only the great hitting that they have, the power that they have, but also the struggles they've had with pitching. But in the end, Wilson Contreras helped put them over the top.
3: The pitch, a swing, and there's a drive. Hit deep, right center field. That ball's gone. Three-run homer, Wilson Contreras. Two home runs tonight and six RBIs.
1: And seven homers for the Cardinals in this game. They went 16-8. to That was John Rooney on the Cardinals radio network. The call before that from Tim Neverett, AM570 LA Sports. Dodgers got bad news this week. Dustin May landed on the injured list with a flexor pronator strain. This is someone who just last year was coming back from Tommy John surgery. Manager Dave Roberts says there's no timetable for his return. The Padres got bad news this week. Manny Machado has a small fracture in his left hand. Uh, so they are trying to get their season turned around. And, man, he's dealing with an injury. The Angels were in Baltimore yesterday for the final game of that series. And Mike Trout, who seems to like to play in Baltimore, it's relatively close to home, went deep in
3: the third. Here's the 1-1. Trout swings it down and lifts the ball high. Hits it well out into left field. And that one is Trout Here. Mike Trout, second game in a row, and Baltimore has homered. And that is a two-run shot, and the Angels' lead grows. It's now 3-0. Terry
1: Smith, Angels Radio AM 830. The Orioles will come back, tie the score. Shohei Ohtani came to the plate in the top of the eighth with a runner on base.
3: Ohtani is the batter. One for four with a homer today. Goes after the first pitch and grounds a ball. It's stopped by the first baseman, but no one to throw to. And the Angels are going to score a run. Cologne didn't get over to cover quick enough. Mountcastle got up, was ready to toss the ball to first. No one was there. And Shohei has an RBI hit, and the Angels have a 6-5 lead. Wow.
1: And the Angels uh, take the final game of the series. Uh, Taylor, we got an Orioles rant in you today. Is that my sense?
0: I believe we are on the same page here, Buster, but I don't think it's quite what people are uh, are going to be expecting when we're saying Orioles rant right now.
1: Okay, we'll see what happens here. The Blue Jays, the Yankees, the final game of that really tense series, and Aaron Judge has just been going off.
4: High fly ball, deep center, Marshall back. He's on the track. He's at the wall. See ya. Number 32, a two-run shot, and
5: the Yankees lead two nothing.
1: With Michael K on the YES Network. Judge actually had a home run overturned in this game, but the Yankees still held the lead, three to two, top of the ninth inning. When a rookie did this, that one is
5: drilled to left field, and that ball is off the screen. A home run for Volpe, a big home run, and the Yankees lead by a score four to two.
4: A lightning bolt right down the line and up against the screen.
1: Taylor, I can't believe that there were no fisticuffs in this series. For all the stuff back and forth, we never had a bench-clearing brawl.
0: Uh, This is why I hate the AL East, man. These teams, they don't produce what I want. I wanted fisticuffs, Buster, and they didn't give it to me. They just gave us a boring baseball game.
1: You're going to to NASCARs looking for crashes. You're going to the (laughs) NHL games looking for fights. Burn it down. Oh, wow. Uh, After the game, Aaron Judge spoke with reporters. Just play a little bit of that for us, Taylor.
2: Aaron, you guys take three out of four, a lot of back and forth all the way around this series. Just How would you describe this series?
0: It was a good series. A lot of guys came up clutch, you know, offensively and then even, you know, some great pitching performances. You know, even looking at today, you know, Webby coming in and helping out Nestor who got it through, um, some solid innings for us. Abreu picking it up in the eighth and then, you know, Ron getting his first career save there in the ninth was was great. It's all around, just guys, guys stepping up each night.
2: It's a little chippy on both sides. Does that Add to it. Does, does that add any more motivation?
0: No, we were focused on what we can control between the lines. You know, we kind of we did a pretty good job blocking out all the noise and distractions, and you know the whole the whole series. So we just went out there and took care of our
1: business. Aaron Judge wanted nothing to do (laughs) with the conversation about how tense that series was and those questions from Meredith Morakovitz. She did a great job trying to dig that out. The Yankees placed uh, all-star catcher Jose Trevino on the injured list. Luis Severino, they announced, is going to return to their rotation on Sunday. The Guardians tried to salvage the final game of a series in Chicago, and Camp Gallagher came through in the top of the seventh.
3: Runner goes, pitch, smashed into left.
4: There's a base hit for Gallagher. That'll score Arias. Rocchio stops at second. What a day for Cam Gallagher as he puts Cleveland on top 3-1. to one.
1: Yeah, and the way the uh, Cleveland offense has been going lately, they definitely needed some insurance. They wound up winning this game 3-1, that call from Tom Hamilton, WTAM 1100. We've got the Guardians on Sunday Night Baseball, and they'll be facing the Mets Who played in their final game of their series against the Tampa Bay Rays on Thursday? And Pete Alonso, who walked off the game on Wednesday night, went deep again. Once you coming. High fly
0: ball, deep center field. Margo back to the track. It's out of here. On to the batter's eye or to the left of that rising apple. Pete Alonso has Homered now in three straight games. It's his
1: 16th to lead Major League Baseball and a slow trot around the bases to give the Mets a 2-1 to lead in the bottom of the fourth inning. The Rays would tie the score, but in the bottom of the sixth inning, the Mets broke that tie.
3: Now the pitch. Slow hit, chopper up the third baseline, hugs the grass, stays fair, run will score, Paredes up with it, throws late to first, and everybody's safe. The Mets take a 3-2 to two lead. So Tommy Pham has two hits in his last 21 at-bats. They have both been slowly hit ground balls, but this one good enough to give the Mets the lead. An RBI single in the sixth, and it is three to 3-2 Mets.
1: That was how he rose in WCBS. The Mets would hold that lead three to two and take the final game of that series. So they got a little bit of momentum going into this weekend, going into Sunday Night Baseball. All right, Taylor, what else you got?
0: Buster, let's not bury the lead here. While well, we have Carl Ravich, Todd Radom, and Sarah Langs on the podcast today, we also have Wander Franco and yep. Terry Francona. And if you want to yep. see them, go to Buster's Instagram, at Buster Only. Uh, we'll put some video clips over there. And Hoop Collective and The Low Post, new episodes out today, wherever you're listening to this podcast right now or on YouTube.
1: For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Dogs are an important part of our lives and keeping them protected is a top priority especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxydectin, and pyrantel chewable tablets. NexGard Plus chews provide one and done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease. Plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NextGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive.
4: All aboard! It's the Revy Train with Carl Ravage.
1: The Ravi train will be pulling into City Field this weekend because on Sunday Night Baseball, Carl Ravitch, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball, uh, will uh, be at City Field. We've got the Guardians and we've got the Mets, which is why today, Carl, we are also working a conversation with Terry Francona, as Taylor was just talking about. What are you looking forward to with these two teams?
3: Your conversation with Terry Francona because he's Terry Francona. So whatever he said is whimsical and uh and very relevant, you know. He's like the wise old owl. I mean, there are things that he would say, and you would think about. It, he'd be like, you know, he's exactly right about that. He he he's able to carve things down to their most basic. And when he speaks, it generally makes sense. And we have two wise old owls with me and Showalter this week. So, I look. It's kind of fascinating the central divisions in baseball. Whether Minnesota, and I think Minnesota's really good, and I like their pitching a lot better this year, um, can hang on. The idea that the Guardians have been looked on as a team that has just failed miserably, and they're, what, three and a half games out as we enter the weekend. Uh, their run differential with Minnesota, I think Minnesota's like a plus 47, 45, somewhere in there, and they're minus 31, and they're three and a half back, and they don't hit homers, and their weighted runs created a plus, like, literally the bottom of major league baseball they're still in it and they're about to have nine starting pitchers so it'd be real interesting to see the way that uh, tito manages this and chris antonetti manages this the rest of the way but uh, i don't know I, I wouldn't rule the guardians out of anything you know they tend to as you pointed out in our call the other day every month you know april not great may better june even better july pretty close august better september great and we're good to go in october
1: yeah, and I'm going to present those numbers to Tito coming up. You know, Sarah Langs dug them out, and they are remarkable. How consistent they've been. You know that they've shown improvement. You know, month by month by month, and you assume as they did last year that they'll get better. You mentioned the struggling offense, Carl. As you were talking, I'm like, oh my god. You know, you and I could just take over baseball ops for the Cardinals and the uh, and the Guardians. Not that they need <laughs> us. Are those two teams not matched up potentially for a trade? When you talk about, you know, the, the Guardians looking for some offense, the the you know, St. Louis having some surplus with some young players, they got to clear yeah. that logjam one way or another. And they um, need pitching, and, yeah. You know, and, and you figure at some point maybe maybe those two teams can have a conversation about starting pitching for uh, hitting. Because Cleveland, yeah. it does feel like during the course of the year, is going to need an injection.
3: Well, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, you know, and some of those guys are, are not having – the years they had last year and they were outstanding years. I mean, the, the question you're gonna ask about some of these teams, um, and the Mets are, are one of them, like like did they peak, you know, when they won a hundred games? Was was that aberrational or is that what this team can be with with Verlander added to it? Um, were the Guardians legit babies that matured enough to be in the postseason and can that continue? Or do they revert back to being, you know, still green and, and greener as this year goes on with some of the arms that they have either in the rotation now or likely to, to bring up. Um, and then they're getting guys back too. you know, Savali comes back. McKenzie comes back. Uh, what they do with police those guys have experience and yet there's others knocking on the door and they seem to encourage those that are knocking on the door to let them to come on through. But yeah, they look, they need a bat in order to win um consistently in baseball and in the postseason, you need that threat to, to hit the ball over the wall. And, and the two teams we have this week, with the exception of Alonzo, don't do it nearly enough. The Guardians are in a whole other class, but the Mets don't do it nearly enough. And, you know, I, I, I brought this up. I don't know what you thought of it. <clears throat> Excuse me. But, you know, Steve Cohen, when they thought they had a deal for Correa, basically said, this is the last piece. This is the final piece to the puzzle. Well, if you don't get that piece, which they didn't, does that mean they are still missing a piece to the puzzle? Is he acknowledging we're not where we want to be? We are not complete, and they will go do something as this season goes on and at the deadline.
1: And I think we started to see them make hard decisions this week where the Mets are, okay, we've seen a quarter of the season. Our offense, while we didn't think the offense was going to be the best in baseball, it's been much less than we thought. It's been bottom 10 in the sport. And I think it's demonstrably, it's been demonstrated to them since June of last year, they need to hit more home runs. You know, that's pretty clear. They have to have more power. And whether that comes through the, you know, promotion of somebody like Mark Vientos, who hits that home run a couple days ago, or, you know, maybe they, uh, you know, promote, uh, you know, other minor leaguers. We've already seen them, you know, promote Brett Beatty. And take out Eduardo Escobar, maybe in the hope that Beatty becomes uh, someone who can can consistently hit home runs. I think it's pretty clear they feel like that they have to upgrade that part of the team.
3: Here's a question for you. Since we're always comparing uh, Yankees and Mets, New York, New York, which which shortstop in New York ends up with more home runs this season? Anthony Volpe or Francisco Lindor? Wow. Man. That that, that wouldn't be a question you would even think you could leap Logically ask when this season started. You know the Yankees were dealing with a shortstop battle. Lindor is an established superstar who, who hits more home runs. The fact that it's a question is an interesting one, isn't it?
1: It is for sure. Um, and I know from talking with Lindor in spring training. You know, it, it uh, the first thing that jumped out at me is when I saw him is that it looked like he'd gotten more slim down that he was not looking for home runs as much. And, look, if you're the Mets and you're evaluating your own offense, while he hasn't necessarily been, you know, great, he has been driving in runs, you know, hitting in the middle of that lineup. He's been one of the guys I think is not a problem. Um, Volpe, on the other hand, he, he he, he gets on base and he hits for power. You know, that's what he does. And if you're the Yankees, you're happy with what you're getting out of him. Um, yeah, I think Volpe will wind up hitting more home runs in part because it feels like his swing is made for Yankee Stadium. He looks comfortable be. already taking the ball the other
3: way. And that's this is far. This is not a knock on Lindor. It's more about no. just the idea that a young kid who wasn't even going to be the shortstop when we went to spring training ends up the shortstop, and in that city in that position may end up having more homers than a guy that is a clear superstar, megastar in baseball, who's you know earning the salary he's earning. Home runs are by far not the only barometer, but we just addressed the fact the Mets need to hit home runs.
1: Especially because the pitching is not as dominant as they had hoped. You know, yeah. on paper, as we go through the offseason, thought was between future Shorefire Hall of Famers, uh, Justin Berlander, Max Scherzer, with Carlos Carrasco and Sanga, uh, that they would have a dominant rotation. And I think they're legitimate questions now. Whether that's ever going to be the case this year, they'll have. They could have a good rotation, but I think with all the injuries we're seeing, I, I don't see them having like a top three rotation in baseball. Which means that they're going to have to hit more. So I think that the moves they made this week are absolutely appropriate. What about you?
3: Yeah, look, I, I think I think an infusion is important. Um, the fact that Vientos homered in this first game, I think, is important. I mean, look, at, at some point, it's it's we're watching the PGA Championship on. ESPN plus at some point you need to see the ball. If you're a golfer, go in the hole. You've got to make putts at some point. You need to see the ball go over the wall, you know, in, in a baseball term and, and seeing that from other players, not named Alonzo is really important. Um, Look, Mark Connor and Sterling Marte, that's a, that's a troubling concern, you know, the same way almost that Verlander and Scherzer, you're, you're at least not guaranteeing you know, 17 wins and a tremendous whip and dominant strikeout numbers. You have to be a little curious and concerned about those two guys, you know, Canna and Marte are, are parts of this team and will be for the next couple of years. And they're not, you know, they're not hitting the ball over the wall. So having that, that infusion may go a long way towards settling everything down. I'm in the cap that both Scherzer and Verlander are going to be really good if uh, if they can start to I, I don't think Verlander has yet got his sea legs under him and maybe on Sunday night, that's that next step, because um, his velocity is the same, et cetera, And, uh, you know, new team, all the things that generally go into those conversations and considerations, I think apply to him too.
1: Yeah, and I think he'll come back. I I mentioned to us uh, on the the podcast the other day, I thought his game against the Rays the other day, was as much about the excellence of the Rays at bat as it was about Justin Slider not necessarily being great that day. You know, I've heard from other executives through the years that the advantage of a team with a huge payroll like the Yankees or now the Mets isn't always just in the players that uh, you acquire, but it's in the ability to move on, right? If you're a small market team and you spend a lot of money on a guy, you have to wait for production for that guy. We've already seen the Mets kind of move on past Eduardo Escobar, although he's having a bit of a renaissance with this uh, part-time role. Uh, I would not be surprised. Like Mark Canoff, they're like, you know what? We're going to try other guys. Starling Marte, we're going to try other guys, even though you're relatively early in that Marte contract. And we saw him play great last year. But I just don't think that Steve Cohen, I don't think the Mets are going to wait.
3: Look, the, I would say that one of the people who was who was echoing what you just said about, wow, it's it's wonderful to have the luxury of being in a large market with big contracts. And you know what? If you make a mistake, you can cover that mistake was Buck Showalter when he was with Baltimore. I mean, think about the division he was playing in when the Red Sox were spending a ton of money and the Yankees obviously were spending a ton of money. He was one of those guys that kept pointing out, well, well they, they, they can make an error. They can, they can make a personnel decision and see, yeah, it's not exactly what we thought. So we'll go and spend more money to, to cover it up. You know, they, they have a great deal of, of, of money to spend on Flex Seal, where the Orioles didn't. We, we can't just mask over this and uh, pretend it's not there. So he was one of those guys. And now he's, he's obviously running the team that's got the, the biggest payroll by far.
1: Yeah, and he wasn't going to say his name out loud, but I'm sure that he was thinking about Chris Davis, right? I mean, the, the Orioles for years and years and years had to yes. live with that contract. The two teams we talked about being all in during the course of the winter seem to be almost in the same place right now. The Padres and the Mets. In exactly. your eyes, which team is more in trouble? Uh, you know, after these slow starts.
3: Well, you know, I f- I think the context of it is you have to consider the teams that they're competing against. I mean, I think both of those teams thought they were going to be World Series contenders. The Dodgers have shown that they're not going anywhere. They are so legitimate. Um, they have superstar players. Gonsolin just came back. Kershaw looks like he's in his prime, which we know he's not, but he's, he's pitching that way. So um, that, that's a big concern for the Padres, who may have beaten him in the playoffs last year, but they haven't done anything against him in this regular season. And Atlanta's the other one. Um, you know, are are the Mets as good as the Braves? I, I think when I am asked a question about potential World Series teams, you have to compare them to the other ones. And the Braves are better than the Mets right now. The yep. Dodgers are better than the Padres. And that's exclusive of every other team. But those are the two divisions, the teams you just mentioned play in. Um, and Philadelphia, too, I think is is better than the, than the Mets talent wise. So I'd say the Mets are probably in more trouble um, than the Padres. I think the Padres, you know, it, it just feels like there's more upside in Juan Soto than maybe starting Marte. And I know that seems obvious, but there are certain players on each team that haven't gotten going. And you expect, I do the Padres players to get going. I'm not sure the Mets players ever get rolling that way. That's why I would say the Mets are in more trouble. And here's one other thing that, you know, you always ask me, what do you want to talk about? When you look at Cleveland, when you look at the Mets, when we talk about the Padres and then the Dodgers, the Braves, are we all recognizing what the Tampa Bay Rays are doing to baseball this year statistically and as an organization? It feels like for years you've kind of gone back to the apple tree and you're like, it's, it's close to ripe, but you could eat it. You could pick it, and it's going to be good, but is this the year where it is like the perfect apple, and and they're just destroying everybody? Because I was looking at the Guardians' offense this, this, uh, this week. They're last in homers. Uh, Tampa Bay has 87 of them. They are 29th in runs. Tampa Bay has 277. The Guardian's war is 0.8. The Rays is 14.8. Like, Wow. I understand comparing the Guardians and the Rays isn't necessarily fair, but compare the Rays to anybody. And it's unbelievable what we're seeing right now from that organization.
1: Yeah. And we're going to be talking with Wander Franco here coming up here uh, about the surprise of the Rays and what he tells people when they ask the question, how are you guys doing this? Uh, let's talk about the Yankees and the Jays series. What a great series. We just heard Meredith Morakovic try to get from Aaron judge pry out of him some response to all the tense play between the two sides. And he kept on talking about, we focused on what was on the field. That was a fun series, Carl. Great
3: series. Uh, And a really big series for the Yankees to go on the road and do what they did and see Volpe continue to hit and see judge kind of get back into that incredible season he had last year um, you know, you're reminded, and I had this conversation with a couple of baseball fans yesterday. You tell me, you know, we we asked, uh, who would you invest in right now? and And we went back and forth with these guys and they're trust me, they're they're baseball folks. Um, you know, Aaron Judge, and we may have had this conversation. Aaron Judge got an OPS I think around 960 right now, generally a little over a thousand. As the years go by, his OPS goes from, let's say 1100. To a thousand, to nine forty, you know, to eight ninety, really, really good numbers. As some of these other guys that have been invested in, you're starting at seven fifty, and you're going to end up at at five hundred. It's very different. So, seeing Judge do what he did against the Blue Jays in a series like that, with all the stuff swirling around and where he's looking and all that, uh, was a really big series for the Yankees, and that was. Uh, that was exciting. If if we can ever get to a place where those two meet in a postseason series, please let me let me sit in that booth. I'd love that. Be unbelievable.
1: And we're gonna be seeing that uh you know, front and center for us with our broadcast in the month of June. We got the yeah. Yankees against the Dodgers, we got the Yankees against the Red Sox. So that'll be fun. I think the difference for Judge is he just has such mastery of the strike zone, you know. It's so excellent. Real quick before you go, I thought on Domingo Herman. who got a 10-game suspension. The, the comparison I made on the podcast the other day was the guy who was you know, going 75 miles per hour uh, on his way to work, got stopped by a cop, and they said, you know what, I'll give you a warning, just slow down. And then two days later, he was going 100 miles per hour right past the same cop. I, I, you got the feeling the Yankees were like, no, this adjustment needs to be made by Herman and not the umpires. I didn't hear any complaining coming out of the Yankees people.
3: Now, when 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 it's when you can see, you know, the material like the midges on Jabba Chamberlain's face years ago, that's kind of beyond the ability to defend it. It's going to be interesting. I'm I'm curious if Major League Baseball does anything about this kind of uh, gray area in which there's this sort of you touch your fingers and you're saying to yourself, "That's the stickiest I've ever felt." There there must be something wrong with it. It kind of goes to what Scherzer was talking about. If I'm using legal substances but I'm using them to such an extent. Does it then feel illegal, even though it's, it's all legal stuff. I'm interested to see if major league baseball kind of at the quarter post here of the season has some way to define uh, this sort of benchmark. But if you go over this and and I think Eduardo Perez, maybe on MLB network radio is talking about some technology that will allow, um, you know, an umpire or a crew to literally use it on that surface. And it would say illegal. You know, red light goes off. Something's not right here. And and maybe that comes. But I wonder if Major League Baseball is going to define what illegal and legal is in a, in a different sense than we had so far.
1: Yeah. And I hope they do that. And I also hope they make a uh, uniform because we, you know, heard from Max. We heard from Herman. Oh, it's only rosin. Why, why like take out the gray or why allow the gray area to stay in place when it comes to the rosin bag? Just put a rosin bag you know, a major league baseball approved rosin bag in the bullpens when the pitchers warm up and then put one out on the mound and say, this is the rosin bag, guys. There's not any personal rosin bag. There's not going to be any rosin bags on the side. That feels like one way to avoid some of this conversation.
3: It is. I, I just think that there's a lack of, of transparency and trust on when a pitcher goes into his clubhouse. You just don't right. know what, You don't know what they're doing. So you could have one rosin bag but I don't know what he's doing, and I can't – I'm not going to police him. They may have to go to the bathroom or do something else. Huh? We're not going to follow him in there. But clearly, there's a lack of uh, transparency and trust. And in this sport, you're always looking for the advantage that will allow you to bend the rules and not get caught. He got caught.
1: Well, and we're going to be having a conversation, Zoom call with Major League Baseball later yeah. today that uh, we'll be talking about on Sunday Night Baseball.
3: All right, Robbie, thanks. Have a good one. See you, Buster.
1: Wander Franco is the shortstop for the Tampa Bay Rays, and he's joining us today with this uh, with Manny Navarro, who's serving to translate because I got a D plus wonder in my last class at Vanderbilt in Spanish. So I apologize. Years years ago, I got a D plus. What
6: do you think? Mm-hmm. Thanks again for the opportunity and thanks for letting me be here.
1: Sure, no problem. It feels like your offense is so much better, wanted than it's been in the past. You know, the the, the Rays have, have historically had a lot of great pitching. What is it about the offense this year that I think had allowed you guys to take off, do you believe?
6: Puedes de hablan de los, de, de los pitchers de nosotros la,
5: We feel great. You know, we're playing all,
6: uh, the game all over. We're playing defense very well as well. Uh, you know, thank God we're able to, to perform at the capacity that we're playing at.
1: Wonder when did you get a sense uh, in spring training, or maybe it was early in the year, that you guys had sort of gone next level with the team performance?
6: Cuando uh, tenías el pensamiento tal vez en spring training que este equipo iba a ser bueno.
5: Eh, yo supe que yo supe desde siempre que este equipo era bueno, sabes, desde que me firme firme en la en la organización. Yo siempre supe que este equipo era que preparaba los peloteros súper bien y siempre. So how come discipline?
6: Uh, I've always thought since I've signed with this organization that this is a great team. You know they they play really well. they got a lot of discipline, and I've always known that this was gonna be a great team.
1: All right. So last year you dealt with a lot of injuries. Uh, you're healthy this year, specifically in terms of what you do. Uh, swinging the bat, your wrist, your hands. Tell me what what feels different than it did last year. Obvio,
6: había muchas lesiones para ti el año pasado, pero ¿qué, qué te sientes diferente o y, y si todo sí está saludable y cómo te sientes diferente este año?
5: Bueno, este año no no nos sentimos super diferentes porque trabajamos pila, trabajamos lo que se llama en el físico, está más flexible y, y este año con una una buena, una buena competencia también y este año ha sido mejor que el año pasado.
6: I uh, feel feel really good. You know, the the working in the off season uh, for physically is what's really helped me to be a little more flexible. Uh, to keep it disciplined, to continue to do it um, as long as I stay healthy. Healthy, I feel a lot different than I did last year.
1: Wonder a, a week ago, a couple of weeks ago, you got a lot of attention when you had that hard shot by Brian Reynolds of the Pirates. You catch the ball, you flip it to yourself, and throw it to first base. How many text messages did you get after that? Who were some of the players you heard from?
6: la jugada que hiciste contra Brian Reynolds uh-huh. en casa una, una línea dura gracias a la pelota de arriba hiciste la jugada pero uh, recibiste muchos mensajes de mucha gente y si recibiste de otros peloteros sobre esa jugada eh, sí
5: sí recibí muchos mensajes de, 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 de deportistas también amigos mío, que, que estuvo bueno <risa> estuvo ir pero en verdad no quise hacerlo en el momento sino que eso me salió en el instinto y, 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 y pude divertirme
6: yeah I received a lot of messages you know a lot from from fellow uh other athletes that play you know they said wow you know what'd you do that for that was awesome uh but it wasn't something I was trying to do it was just something out of instinct
1: what was your favorite message and who who sent you that message and I'm curious what it was me <laughs>
6: Bueno. Eloy Jimenez sent me a message saying that man, that was awesome. That was a nice play.
1: <laughs> so, what was going through your mind right after you do that, uh, and and do you do that occasionally when you're taking ground balls uh, before games?
6: Estaba pensando en el despuésito del momento, y y es algo que haces cuando practicas. O
5: sea, cool. yo lo hago en la práctica. Si todo el tiempo en el juego, cuando cuando tengo una pelota, yo siempre lo hago siempre, y, y se siente bien porque eso fue el instinto. Y si tú haces el instinto.
6: Yeah, it's something I do all the time at practice, you know, when I take round balls, you know, just catch the ball, throw it up. Uh, it's a lot of instincts. Like I said, I don't, I don't plan to do it. I don't think about doing it. It's just instinct and I just do it.
1: So I asked Eric Neander, I was like, tell me something about Wander. And he told me he loves cars. So Tell me <laughs> sort of how that developed and and what's your favorite car? Uh,
6: habló con Eric Neander y dijo que que le gusta a uno que le gustan los carros y tal. Sí. ¿Cuál, cuál es tu carro favorito y explica un poco de eso
5: el mío ahora mismo es el Lamborghini Aventador uh-huh. ese es mi carro favorito y es porque siendo el chamaquito desde niño siempre me ha gustado los carros y y como es el que tengo ahora eh, me gusta mucho
6: I'd say my, my Lamborghini. I uh, definitely like that. Ever since I was a kid, I've, I've always liked cars. Uh, so I would say that was probably my favorite one.
1: Do you have a car in the future that you're just dying to get? Uh, you know, whether it's a, you know, a custom car from the past or some some sort of an antique car that you would love to have.
6: Uh, hay un carro que tal vez cobrará en el futuro que, que quizás un carro viejo que quiere remodelar, hacer algo. Mm-hmm. Hay un carro... Like
5: maybe
1: the James Bond car or something like
5: that.
6: I have actually one of uh, a former agent that signed me. uh he's passed away since, but he had a Mercedes Benz that uh that 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 I liked a lot, and so that's actually a car that I would like to have. All
1: right. Well, Manny, uh, thanks for facilitating this. Wander, thanks for your time. It was great to talk with you and uh, keep it going.
6: Thank you. Thank oh, you. It. It. Thank <laughs> you very much, Buster.
2: Zero, zero, nine, six.
4: This is the numbers game with Sarah Langs. Sarah
1: Langs, reporter, producer for MLB.com. Sarah, how are you doing on this Friday?
7: I'm doing great, Buster. How are you?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, I asked Wander Franco the same question that I get asked. I'm sure you get asked this question, why are the Rays so much better and how do they do it despite all their financial limitations? Uh, When you have been asked that question, what is your answer?
7: I mean, this year it is that top to bottom offense. I really think that overall they have just cornered the market on getting the absolute best out of their players. You know, at this point, I think we all laugh when they pick up a pitcher who's been DFA'd, reliever, what have you. I know there are people who almost say, if the Rays put in a claim, pull it back and figure out how you can fix them, because they always seem to be able to get that next level, especially from pitchers. But As you'll hear in a minute, I mean, their offense is relentless this year. All
1: right, let's play the numbers game.
0: Number three.
7: Number three is five. So the Rays have 11 players with at least five home runs. That includes Wanda Bronco. They got there on Tuesday. On Tuesday, uh, Isaac Paredes hit his fifth and sixth home runs the year. And then later in the game, Jose Siri hit his fifth. The Rays are the first, That was in their 43rd game of the year. They've now played 45. That is two more hitters with at least five home runs than any other team in MLB history has ever had in its first 45 games. And again, they got there in their first 43. It is just incredible. Wander Franco is a superstar. It is amazing that if you look at that run, who has batted for them this year, there are only two players who don't have five home runs. It is incredible.
0: Number two.
7: Number two is sixteen. So yesterday, Pete Alonzo, with his 16th home run of the year, the day after he had his 15th, 16 home runs, is the second most by Mets player in the team's first 45 games of the season. Dave Kingman had 17 in 1976, and of course we have Pete Alonso and the Mets on Sunday baseball this weekend. So I figured we should all be reminded that even though the Mets have struggled at times this year, Pete Alonso, 16 home runs, middle of May, really good place to be.
0: Number one.
7: Number one is 420. So speaking of home runs, and I didn't even realize this was an all home runs in a breaks game, but Ronald Acuna Jr is on an absolute tear this year, his entire career, but especially lately. So each of his last nine home runs have been at least 420 feet. For context, the MLB average home run is around 400 feet. So he has been hitting consistent long home runs. That nine straight 420 foot home runs, It's time for the most consecutive home runs, all going at least that far, tracked by SACAS that goes back to 2015. Jorge Soler did it in 2021. And of course, Giancarlo San did it in 2016. But it is absolutely incredible. I mean, every time he has a home run, it feels like they're all 450 feet. His most recent was 429. But before that, he had back-to-back days at 454 and then 455. He's on pace to have more 450-foot home runs than we've seen in season under Statcast, and I just love it because you don't think of someone built like Ronald Acuna Jr. when you think of long home runs, but he has been doing this his entire career gives him more 440-foot home runs since he debuted than anyone else in the majors. Not Aaron Judge, not Giancarlo Stanton, not Trevor Sawyer, C.J. Crone playing in Coors Field, Ronald Acuna Jr. It is is absolutely incredible.
1: Okay, I know that you'd agree with me that Shohei Otani is, uh, you know, the number one player in baseball at this time. I'm going to make you answer a hard question, Sarah, my favorite thing to do. Uh, second best player in baseball. Is it Ronald Acuna Jr. or Aaron Judge?
7: I mean, I think right now it's Acuna. No disrespect to Judge, but to me it's Acuna because he's on pace to be the first guy with, what, 40 homers and 60s on bases. We haven't even seen numbers close to that in a very, very long time. And I think he's just doing it on all sides. Aaron Judge is amazing. Every night, I mean, he homered again last night. Every night, he's liable to go out there and hit a 150-foot home run. But I guess I'm also partial to a guy who is yet to win MVP, but absolutely will someday soon, maybe this November. So I think I would go with the Coon right now. And again, that stolen base part, and especially... In the climate of today's game with the new rule changes this year, I mean, it's really been amazing to see him on that pace.
1: Yeah, and he might finish the year with uh, leading the major league in hits. Um, You know, it's amazing. He gets a high number of infield hits because he's so fast. He puts the ball in play. As you know, he's got a relatively high ground ball rate compared to the other players in this era. And uh, he hits a chopper in the hole, and it's a base hit because he runs so well. Um, And before you go, Sarah, uh, we're about ready to talk to Terry Francona. Your friend Mandy Bell uh, covers him as a beat reporter for MLB.com. What's the feedback you get from her about covering Tito?
7: Oh, my goodness. I mean, I have said to her so many times that I am so glad just as her friend that Tito is the first manager she has covered full time in the majors. He just seems like such a such a fun manager to be covering. Obviously, there are bad days for the team, whatever. But Tito is always Tito. There's always some sort of levity. I remember I went back and forth with her at one point. Uh, with sacas we classify pitches for pitchers. And sometimes there are differences between what a player calls a pitch and what the radar may pick up we always modify it to what the pitcher thinks it is. And there was an incident, someone debuted this year, and his pitches were tracked maybe incorrectly. And she reached out to me, and she told me that Tito had basically said that he thought he read the scouting report wrong when he saw the pitch type on the scoreboard. That his instinct was not to think, oh, technology is wrong isn't instinctive to, to say, oh, I must have messed up. And that's Terry Francona. So I'm so grateful that she gets to work with him and cover him. And he just seems like such a fun and funny guy.
1: Yeah, it can make a difference. If you're a reporter starting out, my first superstar player that I covered, I always talk about covering Tony Gwynn was a gift uh, because he, he loved baseball so much. And he loved talking about baseball and he made it very accessible for a, a young idiot like me, who was trying to figure stuff out. And I could ask questions and he wouldn't be like, well, that's a dumb question. He would, he would talk through it. Uh, and and uh, he was tremendous. All right, Sarah, thanks for doing this.
7: Thanks so much for having me, Buster.
1: You can now stream the most MLB games on direct TV without a satellite dish. Yes. Call one 800 directv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com buster. Just go to indeed.com buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Terry Francona is the manager of the Cleveland Guardians. Tito, how you doing?
4: Good. Buster, how are you?
1: Good. I've got a bunch of numbers to throw at you, so, so bear with me a little bit, okay? Because I asked our friend Sarah Langs to look this up. Uh, This is the Guardian's records in your tenure as their manager, winning percentage in April, May slash May, excuse me, March slash April, your winning percentage is 480 in your tenure. In May, it's 532. In June, it's 577. In July, 542. In August, 604. And in the combination of September, October, it's 610. So what that paints is, uh, you know, like the side of a pyramid over the course of seasons, you guys get better. I talked to Chris Antonetti, uh, your boss, about this yesterday. He said that, you know, he understands and there's an anticipation almost within your organization that's something that you guys are good at doing. Uh, tell me what you feel like that that's a product of.
4: Well, I to, to, to answer it a little bit, maybe convolutedly, I wish we could do it in April and May also, because that would make life a lot easier. (laughs) I just think we, we, you know, we have to be patient, you know, because of our payroll, we, we, we tend to be ultra patient. And I know we have to, but then when we find what we're looking for, fortunately, I think because our guys work hard, we hold it. Once we find our footing, you know, we, we compete pretty well the rest of the year. Sometimes it takes us a little longer than any of us would like, but once we get there, we're okay.
1: So tell me about some of the the teaching and that, that, that those numbers sort of reflect that you guys do. And, and and I'd be curious to hear your perspective on how much teaching that your staffs do now compared to say, when uh, you were managing first started managing first years with the Red Sox.
4: Well, it's, it's, and if you don't recognize that it's different, I think shame on us. We try to balance, and I hope we do it okay, you know, not beating them over the head, you know, but trying to explain to them when things, hey, this isn't, this isn't the right thing to do here. Here's why. Doesn't mean you're a bad person, you're a bad player. We're just, you know, we just trying to do what puts us in the best position to succeed. And, and sometimes you have to kind of swallow, you know, your opinion because, you know, the player's got some some adrenaline going or maybe he's mad and you try to pick a time when they're ready to listen because ultimately, you know, what you want him is not to do it again. That's the goal.
1: So give me an example of that, that, uh, you know, last few years of a player who you saw, you know, evolve during the course of a year just got better and better in the way those numbers reflect.
4: Well, fortunately, like last year, just about everybody did. I mean, yeah. You know, Quan went through his his growing pains in May, but we were patient, and he didn't have a lot like Pedroya. You know, you watch guys as they're going through struggles, and he wasn't throwing his bat, throwing his helmets, and you know he was he was handling things, and we were playing okay, so so that helps. And then he kind of started to make his adjustments. That that's fun to watch, and you see it with young guys way more than you do with veterans because it's almost like you're back in the minor leagues. You see guys in April and May and you're like, man, I don't know if they can do it. Then you look up in July and August and you're like, wow, they can do it. And that's exciting. How are you feeling?
1: You know, that's a, one of the questions I know you hate to answer and you get asked by, by everybody, but we all, you know, wonder, you know, how long is uh, Terry going to manage? Uh, and that, uh, you know, we saw last year with that.
4: Yeah, I feel pretty old. I think that's a safe assumption, but, but I think you know i'm I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm still happy when we win and I'm mad when we lose. That'll never change. um you know, like trying to figure out the best way for us to to get better and and because I know you know you read those numbers, but it doesn't just happen, and that's what you know me and the coaches were sitting in there today and we're talking because we have a good group of coaches, actually a great group of coaches. And we were sitting there trying to figure out, okay, how do we get this better? Because we don't want to just stand around.
1: Tell me about your team this year and sort of where you see this group on its journey.
4: Well, we're a little caught in between right now. You know, last year we, we, you know, we ran the bases very well. We didn't hit the ball in the ballpark and we defended extremely well to this point we haven't defended as well I, I think we will but we haven't yet um we're still pretty good on the bases we've made a few more outs that i'm a little bit comfortable with but i don't think you can be as aggressive as we want our guys to be without running into an out sometimes that's that's just part of it um we're we're we're, we're very inconsistent offensively right now that's probably been the hardest thing is you look across the board and I don't think we have one hitter that's where we think they will be. So the hope is, is that maybe they all do it at the same time because you've seen the game. Usually you got a couple guys hot, a couple of guys cold, and the rest of them are in the middle. You know, we pretty much one through 13 have been below where we think guys will be.
1: You talked about defensive performance this year versus last year. How much of that do you uh, think might be related to some of the rules
4: changes? Uh, you know, or if if it is at all, I don't, I don't, I really don't. I think, uh, I really don't. I think we, you know, we have a new catcher. Um, we've had, you know, we've had Bell at first some days. Um, we're a little bit of a different team at times, but I still think we have the ability to be a really good defensive team. We just have some work to do, okay. Uh, How do you like the new rules so far, generally speaking? I'm okay with them. Um, I I think – I have a feeling that when this year's over, they'll probably put some tweaks in, and I understand why they don't now because if everybody got to put their own tweaks in, the whole system would probably blow up. But I think overall the game is much quicker. Um, I think – you know, I don't think our goal was to just play fast. I think it's to play good. And as a team, our goal is to not let these rules interfere with how we play. And that's so that's what we tried to do all spring training was have them play so we didn't have to worry about a clock or other things. And that that was the idea.
1: A couple weeks ago before Sunday night game, Bob Melvin told our group that he – he would be in favor of a uniform 22nd clock runners on base, no runners on base. He said, cause he thought it would help the players understand the timing better. It would be, and I'm curious from your perspective, you mentioned possible tweaks. What would you advocate for?
4: Well, and that's the problem because every time something I like to do, I understand there are ramifications and it goes into the net, you know, the unintended consequences. So I just think, you know, we we've taught our pitchers for years and years and years, When things start to go a little rough, hey, step off, gather yourself. You know, we have our mental skills coaches talking to them about ways to reset. Well, now you're not allowed to reset. So guys are kind of learning on the fly. And we're seeing in some of these longer innings where it's tough for guys, because unless you make a trip to the mound, that's the only way you can stop it.
1: One of the ideas I heard from one of your peers also was almost like a uh, two manager timeouts during the course of a game, like two opportunities. Think of it like in, uh, you know, uh, in the NBA, you get the, what, the 32nd timeout, that sort of thing. If that came up to you, what would you think?
4: That's, those are things that are, that are certainly good ideas. I don't know, you know, if it'll work. I, 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 but things like that, I, that when I said tweaks, that's kind of what I was thinking that there probably will be some tweaks once we get through this year and everybody understands the rules and knows that we're going to abide by them. Then I think they'll be able to make some tweaks. All right, Tito, I'll see you in New York this weekend. You got it, Buster. I'm looking forward to it. See you, man. Todd Radom. He's the chief
1: executive of our weekly quiz. He's a graphic artist whose work can be seen on ball fields all across America, all around the world, or you can go to his website, toddradom.com. Todd, how are you doing this week?
8: Buster? I'm great. It's a beautiful May Friday. we got the
1: weekend ahead of us, so let's do it. Yeah, and every week when you come on to present a forgotten field, you are wearing a different cap. You know, and I noticed a few weeks ago how it did – feel like that you were you were like an actor playing out the whole scene when you're presenting the Forgotten Field and today you're wearing an unusually colored Dodger cap I would say that Uh, and uh, you know and I'm as we've just uh, discussed in the past I'm very colorblind and so I need you to describe exactly the cap you're wearing for the Los Angeles Dodgers.
8: So Buster first of all for, for a living, I solve creative problems. So my creative problem this morning and whenever we do the podcast is coming up with a hat that corresponds with what we're going to be talking about. So yes, I am wearing a uh, what I would describe as a lemon and lime Dodgers cap. It is lime green with a lemon LA and a lemon underbrim. Wow. And uh, yeah, it's kind of a bold statement. It's not for everybody. But hey, I'm sitting here in my office. So who cares?
1: Yeah, I need. uh, Of course, we got the quiz coming up. I need Sarah and Taylor to chime in on the lime and lemon Dodger cap.
0: I've sort of come around on these uh, different colored caps. I have an olive Orioles cap that I absolutely love. So maybe a couple years ago, I would have said this is, you know, an abomination, but I I like it. And especially for a more casual fan, you know, it's a a fashion statement, really, you know.
2: I was going to say, I feel like it's definitely more of a fashion statement. I I love it. I got to say, I love it.
1: All right. You know what? I will see the field. I am not stylish in any form or fashion. And so I'm listening to all of you and I will defer to your taste. (laughs) Hat
8: culture community, if you want to call it that, which it really is, kind of exploded uh, over the starting with the pandemic. It was going on before then, but it really took off during the pandemic. And you've got a generation of people who are not necessarily sports fans who are matching their hats to their sneakers and their outfits, and so it is very fashion-forward, but it's also a chance for uh, for people to be expressive who are baseball fans. And what do I always I always talk about? You know, our alternate uniforms, our city connects. The season is so long to have a little bit of uh, a little bit of individuality and expression is okay, and it's even better if you're a fan. And uh, it's it's different from wearing a, a cement bag on your on your shoulders. Sorry.
1: (laughs) I saw you chiming on Twitter about that. I would say this, when I see a hat like that, uh, what goes through my mind is, oh my God, if I tried to match that with other clothes, I would screw it up so badly. And I don't even know how, but uh, (laughs) it certainly would be the case. All right, let's get to this week's forgotten field. All right.
8: So Buster, today we're going, we're going to take a look at what was arguably baseball's first important ballpark, the Union Grounds located at the corner of Marcy Avenue and Rutledge Street in the Williamsburg section of Brooklyn. The Union grounds hosted some of baseball's most noteworthy early games. The 1869 Cincinnati Red Stockings played a game here, and it was the home to three National Association clubs and two National League clubs, the 1876 New York Mutuals and the 1877 Hartfords of Brooklyn. It was baseball's first Fully enclosed baseball stadium. And during its debut on May 15, 1862, in the middle of the Civil War, the earliest documented performance of the Star Spangled Banner at a sporting event took place there. Hmm. The the Union Grounds, formerly known as the Union Baseball and Cricket Grounds, was the creation of Brooklyn businessman and politician William Kamire, seeking to monetize what was then a seasonal operation. He converted the site from a winter ice skating rink to an enclosed ball field, building a 1,500-seat horseshoe-shaped grandstand and a mammoth playing field spread over six acres with outfield fences some 500 feet from home plate and a three-story brick pagoda building in center field, which was in play. Prior to the Union grounds, ball fields such as Hoboken's Elysian Fields were located in park-like settings with no enclosures at all. At a time when baseball was strictly an amateur thing, Pam Meyer began to charge admission, 10 cents per spectator. This was raised to a quarter in 1867. Players began to demand a cut-of-the-gate proceeds, and the amateur game soon gave way to the professional sport that we know 160 years later, which places Union Grounds squarely at the genesis of the pro game. In its earliest years, Union Grounds served as the home field for the Eckford Club, champions of the National Association of Baseball Players in 1862 and 1863. The the Eckfords were founded in 1855 by a group of shipwrights and dock laborers employed at Eckford and Webb's shipyard. The baseball club evolved into a social club. They played their final game in 1872, but continued on as a social organization until the mid-1950s. On October 30th, 1871, The Chicago White Stockings, these are today's Chicago Cubs, they played their final regular season game against Philadelphia at the Union Grounds. Why? Because the White Stockings had been left homeless by the Great Chicago Fire, which occurred several weeks earlier, losing their ballpark and their equipment. Chicago players wore the uniforms of the Eckfords and the Mutuals. Union Grounds hosted one final Major League game that took place on July 26th 1878, a neutral site game between the National League's Milwaukee and Providence clubs. With no permanent NL club in New York or Brooklyn, the game was a test of the pro game's viability there, and the results were a failure, with each club raking in approximately $60 for their efforts. Union Grounds was raised in July 1883. The 47th Regiment Armory and an elementary school now occupy the site. But today we remember when it was baseball's first great stage, the Union Grounds, and this is this week's Forgotten Field. And you've been
1: to that site, I'm assuming.
8: I've been by it. I never necessarily paid a uh, visit solely with the intent of looking at Union Grounds, but I think I've got to get over there, Buster.
1: Well, and, and you know, as you've noted with some of the others, they have... Uh, you know, placards and, and signs and, uh, you know, play some somehow denoting uh, that a ball field was there. But the fact that it was raised in 1883, no one was thinking that this was going to be a historical site at the time.
8: No. Nope. But but uh, again, a seminal baseball stadium. And, and this is our throwback forgotten field for the season. This is the oldest one that we're going to do. We're primarily looking at National League and American League parks, but we have a few Negro Leagues fields thrown in there. And this one takes it way, way back to the beginning, and it's a really important stadium.
1: Yep. All right. Uh, let's get to this week's quiz.
8: All right. Week 11. Speaking of stadiums, it's a stadium question. Sort of. This is the last active player to have played a regular season game at Montreal's Olympic Stadium. Is it A, Albert Pujols? Is it B, Zach Greinke? Is it C, Yadier Molina? Or is it D, Miguel Cabrera? Last active player to have played a regular season game at Montreal's Olympic Stadium. Pujols, Zach Greinke, Yadier Molina, or Miguel Cabrera?
1: All right. You guys want to jump in here? I'm pretty sure I got this one locked.
0: Uh, I'm going to go with... Zach Grinky,
2: I'm yep. gonna go D. I'm
1: gonna go A. Albert Pujols. Oster, you are just full of hubris because it's not Albert Pujols,
8: but Sarah is correct. Miguel Cabrera played oh, games no. at the Big He hit two thirty-three, wow. two homers, five RBI. Sarah on
1: fire here. I,
2: Unbelievable. Oh man, that so the that Cardinals visit
1: obviously was earlier in the 2003 season. Yes. Then the Marlins going up. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. 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 And Zach
8: Greinke pitched against the club, but it was in Kansas city. So right. Foster saying that he's locked in. Never believe it. Don't believe it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. All right, Todd, thanks for doing this. All right, everybody. Good seeing you.
0: Bleacher tweets. Already, Buster. Bleacher tweets for a Friday. But before the tweets, Buster, I have a question for you. Okay. Why do you hate the Baltimore Orioles? It's a question (laughs) many ask. Many want to know the answer. So I I figure I'd go straight to the source.
1: Well, I just, uh, I refer back to that great uh, graphic that the big lead did. A writer there went back and looked through the tweets and determined and found examples of every team in baseball where fans were saying, "Why do you hate my team?" Uh huh. (laughs) That would be my answer. I guess I'm doing doing something right if everyone thinks that you hate everybody.
0: I agree, and it's it's funny because people have latched onto this kind of recently. Do you think there's like a point that? Every, what, was it just your complaining about the Orioles tanking? The tanking. Yeah, okay. It was
1: about tanking. Okay. It's always been about the tanking. It's
0: always been about the tanking. So it's not specific to the Baltimore Orioles. You don't hate Charm City. You don't go to Federal Hill and be like, oh, what a disgusting dump this is. And you don't hate... Oh, I
1: love. How many times have I said Camden Yard's my favorite park?
0: Uh, about a billion. Uh, about so, a billion. So maybe we can dispel the notion here, Buster, that you hate the Baltimore Orioles. Buster does not hate the Baltimore Orioles. I, I think I can, I know that. And you, you've you done a bit recently where when people come at you, you've now enlisted me on Twitter to uh, to defend you, which I'll happily do. But you I'll go in and say, hey, guys, Buster doesn't hate the Orioles. I would know, you know. And the, uh, uh, something happened last weekend where two people were like, one guy said, literally, how the F would you know that Buster doesn't hate the Orioles?
1: I didn't see that. That's pretty funny. Maybe because we talk just about every day during the baseball season, communicate every day, right? (laughs) You're part of these conversations about the Orioles. We've how often have we ripped Brandon Hyde? How many times have we criticized Brandon Hyde or Adley Rutschman or any of the players?
0: Uh, Basically, never.
1: (laughs) Zero. We've never criticized the players ever. We just talked about ownership. Sucking money and profits out of the organization uh, you know, under the guise that they're rebuilding. Part of their thought process was, you know, by cutting their payroll, the bone was that they were going to make a ton of profit. And as we sit here today, my continued uh, criticism of ownership is: you need to invest in the product. They don't have a single player under contract for 2024 for a team <laughs> with a lot of hope. If I'm a fan of that team. I would think that would be a joke, Taylor.
3: It,
0: it, it's a little bit of a joke. Uh, almost every other day, the Orioles group chat, you know, someone will start the day off with, maybe today's the day that Athlete Rutschman gets extended. I'm not going to hold my breath, but does that sound, is that too hatery? Do people not like that? Does th- this conversation, does this make me an Orioles hater?
1: I, I guarantee you that most of the people who talk about us, you know, me hating the Orioles, probably complain about the exact Same thing that we talk (laughs) about, which is ownership refusing to spend on these players. The Atlanta Braves have all their young players locked up. Cleveland has some of their young players locked up. Tampa Bay has some of their young players. And these are not the biggest teams, you know, financial, uh, biggest, you know, spending teams in baseball. Just about every team other than Oakland has some young players locked up. The Orioles, none.
0: Zero. They
1: continue to position themselves to take out a lot of money. So... (laughs) I, I you know, it, it's amazing to me that the, the whole conversation
0: Buster does not hate the Baltimore Orioles. I can attest. We talk about it all the time. He does not hate Camden Yards. He doesn't hate Boog's barbecue. He doesn't no, I, hate...
1: And Boog is a friend of mine, by the way. <laughs> Jim Palmer is a friend of mine, yes. by the
0: way. Yes. Does <laughs> Jim Palmer ever text you? Buster, why do you hate the Orioles? Why do you keep no. talking trash? No. Dan
1: McDonald ever text me, no, he doesn't. It's, <laughs> it's remarkable. Anyway.
0: Oh, okay. Glad we could clear that up. Um. And if you tweet Buster asking why he hates the Orioles, Buster, just send him my way. I'll send him straight. Okay. I'll do that. Alright. Yeah. Mike Mosk writes in, at the Mos- Three in the last ten games. Judge is batting three hundred three. His slash line three hundred three, four forty two, and his OPS is one two three zero. I'm bad at numbers. Is it too early to ask why people are pitching to him? Rizzo is having a good year, but I'll take my chances.
1: No, and we were asking that question about halfway through last year. We assumed that teams would bypass pitching to Judge as much, but they get pitching to him even when the Yankees had all those injuries. And Judge was like the, the most formidable force in that lineup. And I guess there's some analytic argument not to to intentionally walk him in and pitch around him. But you know what? All he does is keep doing damage. And and when the Yankees win, it feels like Judge is involved every time.
0: Andrew DeSalvo at DeSalvo Ocean writes in, you recently referenced the trend of starting pitchers rarely reaching the seventh or even the sixth inning anymore. Should Major League Baseball consider changing the definition of a quality start to the scorer's discretion? And do you think they might?
1: I don't think that they'll take that fight on anytime soon uh, and I if I remember correctly I think that that effort would probably have to start with the Elias Sports Bureau um, but it's hard for them to like change the definition of a particular stat right which by the way was invented my good by my good friend John Lowe who used to cover the Tigers for the Detroit Free Press
0: oh that's pretty cool Elizabeth Hart at tweets writes in, can you please talk about how Zombie Bassett is a better pitcher than 95% of pitchers in the league, three singles over seven shutout innings?
1: Every rotation needs a plow horse. The Mets rotation needs a plow horse, like the guy Mm -hmm. who's going to go out and maybe isn't going to throw a shutout every single game, but he's going to give you a lot of innings. He's going to pitch deep in the game. He's going to save the bullpen. And he's generally, uh, generally speaking, going to be effective. And that's what Chris Bassett's been for the Blue Jays.
0: I love zombie Bassett. That's a great nickname. That's a great name. Last one for the week, Paul a Haynes at Haynes lab MQ rates. And what happened to the opener and the bullpen day every fifth day, they used to be common in baseball, but seem to have faded out. Is there a good reason?
1: Um, I think it's because teams now are more likely if they suddenly have to have a bullpen type day, they're more likely to go with a guy who's going to throw two or three innings. Uh, it's kind of that I don't really think it's that different than than what we used to see with the opener and the bullpen day. And I think teams it's amazing how many transactions every day where teams are moving pitchers up and down from the minor leagues. I'll say it again. They become the running backs of the of Major League Baseball teams just burn through pitchers. Uh, it feels like day after day after day after day. And, you know, the old standard when we talk about teams that need to be great, that need to have a great rotation. That's just not true anymore. The Atlanta Braves are a classic example that Max Fried is down. Uh, Kyle Wright is down. You know, the, the Braves rotation is taking a hit, but they just throw a lot of guys at it and they try to out-hit their issues.
0: Dodgers, too. All right. Yep. That'll do it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets over the weekend while you're watching games. We'll be back on Monday, and today is just as good a day as any to extend Adley Rutschman. Thanks, everyone.
1: Well, that's it for today. That's it for this week. My thanks to Wanda Franco, to Terry Francona, Carl, Sarah, Todd, Sarah, and Taylor. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day.
8: And now,
7: two
3: pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream TV satellite-free. You see this?
7: A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on TV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds.
3: Direct TV has the most MLB games. Call one 800 TV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.